Lesson 4 for October 15 to 21, God and Human Suffering. Sabbath afternoon, October 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as your created beings. We come to you as people who need you day by day. We come to you as people who experience the salvation that is provided through the death of Jesus. And as we open your word this week, we want to thank you that we can all come, regardless of where we've been this week. And we can come and open your word and have your Holy Spirit guide us. As we look at what you have for us, we pray that our hearts may be blessed and that we may more adequately understand your love for us. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's read that again, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Unlike every other book of the Bible, the book of Job is completely removed from the context of the land and the people of Israel. From Genesis, with its promise to Abraham that the Lord will make of thee a great nation, Genesis 12.2, to Revelation, which describes the holy city Jerusalem in Revelation 22.19, in some way, directly or indirectly, the context of Israel and its covenant relationship with God helps shape each book. In Job there is nothing of that, not even the seminal event in ancient Israelite history, the Exodus. The most immediate reason is that Moses wrote Job in Midian, along with Genesis. The Exodus had not happened yet, which explains why it's not mentioned. But perhaps there's another even more important reason. One of the key themes of Job, human suffering, is universal. It's not limited to any one people or time. Jew or Gentile, we all know something of Job's woes, of the pain of existence in a fallen world. However unique his pain, Job represents us all in our sufferings. Sunday, October 16. God in Nature. Question. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 19 and 20. What is Paul saying here? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What a powerful few sentences. Enough of the reality and existence of God is revealed through what has been made, that is, through the created world, that people will be without excuse for their unbelief. 
Paul is saying that from the creation alone, humans can learn enough about the existence and nature of God that they can justly be condemned on the day of judgment. No question, the natural world does reveal much to us about the existence of God. Modern science, too, has revealed to us details about the marvels of creation that our ancestors, even just 300 years ago, much less than 3,000 years ago, could not even have begun to imagine. There's an interesting irony here as well. The more complexity science finds in life, the less likely becomes the means science claims for its origin, that of accident and chance. A smartphone, for instance, which looks designed, acts designed, reveals design both inside and out, and works only through design, is, of course, designed. But a human being, which looks designed, acts designed, reveals design both inside and out, and works only through design, is, we are assured, a product of pure chance alone. Sadly, many people are deceived into believing such claims. Question. Read Job chapter 12, verses 7 through to 10. How do the words here reflect the idea presented in Romans 1, 18 to 20? Job 12, beginning at verse 7. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Here too we are told that the reality of God is seen in the created world. Though, especially in its fallen state, nature doesn't reveal the full character of God, it certainly reveals his creative power and aspects of his goodness as well. So to finish the day, what things in nature especially talk to you about the power and goodness of God? How can you learn to draw strength and encouragement from the message it gives you? Monday, October 17. Nothing came from itself. There are many good and powerful arguments in favour of God's existence. Besides the testimony of the created world, there's also what's called the cosmological argument. Basically, it's the idea that nothing came from itself and that nothing created itself. Instead, whatever was created was created by something else before it, and whatever created that had to be created by something else before it. And this goes on and on until we stop at something uncreated, something that had always existed, something that never was not in existence. And who else would that be but the God depicted in Scripture? Question. What do the following texts teach us about the origin of all things? First of all, Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. 
and Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. These texts teach what is really the most logical explanation for creation. An eternally existing God. Some thinkers, utterly opposed to the idea of God, have come up with an alternate suggestion. Instead of an all-powerful and eternal God creating the universe, we are told that nothing created it. Even such a famous scientist as Stephen Hawking, who now occupies the chair that Isaac Newton once held, argues that nothing created the universe. From his book The Grand Design, page 180, we read... Because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. End of quote. Though Hawking surely has plenty of deep and complicated math to describe his idea, one has to wonder. Here we are, a good 400 years since the beginning of the scientific revolution, and one of the world's best scientists is arguing that the universe and all that's in it came from nothing. Error is error, even when spoken by a great scientist. So to finish today, in this context, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19. Why is it always so important for Christians to keep this truth before us? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Tuesday, October 18, the earliest of books. Despite the hype of those who don't believe in God, those who believe in God have many good reasons for their belief. However, there's just one perennial problem that many have used through the ages to justify their disbelief, and that is the problem of human suffering and evil. How can God be all good, all loving and all powerful, and evil exist? This has been the re and remains a stumbling block to many. And also, if we're honest, what believer in God, what person who has tasted and experienced the reality of God and His love, hasn't struggled at times with that question? How interesting, then, that Ellen White also taught what Jewish tradition teaches, that Moses wrote Job in Midian. From the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 1140. The long years amid desert solitudes were not lost. Not only was Moses gaining a preparation for the great work before him, but during this time, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Genesis and also the book of Job, which would be read with the deepest interest by the people of God until the close of time. End of quote.
What this tells us is that of the first two books of the Bible ever penned, one of them, Job, deals with the universal issue of human pain and suffering. That is, God knew that this would be a big question for humans, and thus, right from the start, in the Word, he had Moses pen the story of Job. God let us know early on that we are not left alone in our pain and suffering, but that he is there, he knows all about it, and we can have the hope that he will make it right in the end. Question. What do the following texts teach us about the reality of evil? First of all, our memory text, Matthew 6.34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And John chapter 16 and verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to the end of time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And Matthew 24, verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. However understandable the argument from evil against the existence of God, in light of the Scriptures it makes no sense. Though the Bible teaches the reality of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, it also teaches the reality of evil, of human suffering and woe. Evil is not an excuse to disbelieve in God. In fact, a cursory reading of the book of Job shows that even amid his utter despondency, Job never questioned the existence of God. The question instead, and a valid one, is, why are these things happening to him? So to finish the day, it's only natural to have questions about the evil we see. How can we learn to trust in the goodness of God despite that evil? Wednesday, October 19. The Dilemma. Question. Read the following texts in Job. What issue is Job wrestling with? And what question does he not ask? First of all, Job chapter 6, verses 4 through to 8. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavourless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for. And Job chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? 
If one wished to contend with him, he would not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals all the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me... I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, What are you doing? As stated in yesterday's study, the issue of God's existence never came up in the book of Job. Instead, the question was, Why was Job going through these trials? And considering all that happened to him, it certainly was a fair question especially because he believed in God. If, for example, someone was an atheist and trials were to come, the answer about why could be relatively simple and straightforward to him or her. We live in a meaningless and purposeless world that cares nothing about us. Thus, amid the harsh and cold and uncaring natural forces around us, we sometimes are victims of trials that serve no purpose. How could they? If life itself serves no purpose, then the trials that accompany that life must be just as meaningless. While many might find this answer unsatisfying and hopeless, it certainly makes sense given the premise, which is that there is no God. On the other hand, for someone like Job, the dilemma is different. Question. Read Job chapter 10 verses 8 to 12. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity, yet you have, you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay and will turn me into dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favour, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yes, the question that Job is wrestling with is the same one that most believers in God have wrestled with and still do wrestle with. If God exists, a good and loving God, why do humans suffer the things that they do? Why do even good people such as Job go through calamities and trials that so often seem to produce nothing of value? Again, if the universe were godless, the answer would be that this is simply what it means to live in a purely materialistic cosmos, in which human beings are merely the accidental byproducts of atoms and molecules. Job knew better than that. We do too. Hence the dilemma. Thursday, October 20. Theodicy. Question. Read Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through to 4. Though the immediate context is the unfaithfulness of some of God's covenant people, what is the bigger issue that Paul is talking about here? 
What is Paul saying about God? Well, let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through to 4. What advantage, then, has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and may overcome when you are judged. Quoting Psalm 51 verse 4, Paul talks about how the Lord himself will be justified in your words, and will prevail when you are judged. The idea being presented is a motif that appears in various places in Scripture. It's called theodicy, and it is the question of understanding the goodness of God in the face of evil. It's the age-old question that we've been looking at all week. In fact, the whole great controversy itself is really a theodicy. Before humans, before angels, before the whole universe, the goodness of God will be revealed despite the evil that unfolds in the world. From the Great Controversy, page 670 and 671, we read, Every question of truth and error in the long-standing controversy has now been made plain. The results of rebellion, the fruits of setting aside the divine statutes, have been laid open to the view of all created intelligences. The working out of Satan's rule in contrast with the government of God has been presented to the whole universe. Satan's own works have condemned him. God's wisdom, his justice and his goodness stand fully vindicated. It is seen that all his dealings in the great controversy have been conducted with respect to the eternal good of his people and the good of all the worlds that he has created. End of quote. However hard it might be for us now to understand, immersed as we are in a world of sin and suffering, and if it's hard for us, imagine what Job must have thought, when it is all over, we will be able to see the goodness and justice and love and fairness of God in all his dealings with humanity, with Satan, and with sin. This doesn't mean that everything that happens in the world is good, Clearly it's not. It means only that God is dealing with it in the best way possible, and then, when this terrible experience with sin is over, we will be able to shout, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints. Revelation 15 and verse 3. So, to finish the day, why is it so important to be praising God even now, even amid the trials that seem so hard to bear? Friday, October 21. Christian writer and apologist C.S. Lewis wrote a book talking about the death of his wife and his struggle to come to terms with that death. In it, he wrote, 
Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but, so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. That's from A Grief Observed, page 6 and 7. This, too, is the question that Job himself struggled with. As we saw, he never doubted God's existence. What he struggled with was the question of the character of God. Job had faithfully served the Lord. Job had been a good man. Therefore, he knew that he did not deserve the things that were happening to him. Thus, he was asking the question that so many people who believe in God ask amid tragedies. What is God really like? And is this not what the great controversy is really about? The question is not about God's existence, but about his character. And though so much is involved in resolving the great controversy, there's no question that the death of Jesus on the cross, where the Son of God had, as it says in Ephesians 5.2, given himself to us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, more than anything else, revealed to the cosmos the true character of our Creator. The cross shows us that God is a God in whom we can trust. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, dwell on the question of suffering for those who don't believe in God. As we saw, they don't have to struggle with the same questions that believers in God do when facing tragedy. On the other hand, what hope can they have of ever getting answers or ever finding resolution? Imagine going through all that we go through here in this world and then to believe that it all ends in the grave with nothing beyond. No wonder so many unbelievers despair of life or of even finding any meaning to life. Secular literature is filled with their exclamations and protests about how meaningless it all is. How can we then, even amid our sorrows here, draw hope from our faith despite the difficult questions that remain. And question two. Why is it so important for us right now to dwell on the cross, the most powerful revelation we have of God's love and what God is like? When we were engulfed by sorrow, by tragedy, by inexplicable evil, what does the cross tell us about the character of God? When we keep the reality of the cross always before us, what hope can we draw for ourselves for the ultimate outcome of whatever we face now? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is Filling the Emptiness, Part 2. After several weeks of deception, Elena decided that she was telling lies in order to worship God and that wouldn't be acceptable to him. She decided to be truthful and accept the consequences. But her father already suspected what she was doing. He watched her enter the widow's house, then leave a half hour later. 
He went next door and asked for his daughter. The widow told him she had left, but she would return in a half hour. But that night, Alina was so deeply touched as the speaker described how Jesus suffered for humanity that she couldn't tear herself away before the service ended. On her way home, she thought, If God suffered so much for me, maybe I will have to suffer for him too. I will be faithful and look to Jesus for strength. She had no idea how soon her suffering would begin. She returned to the widow's home, overjoyed by what she had heard. But the widow warned her, Be careful, your father is angry. She found her father waiting for her at home. He yelled at her, demanding to know where she had been. I have been at church, she said. I liked it very much. You won't go to that church again, he yelled. You will have nothing to do with Seventh-day Adventists ever again. He went to her room and gathered all her religious books and tore them up. Then he threw them on a pile in the yard and burned them. Her father tried every means he knew to convince Alina to stop this nonsense. But Alina had seen God's better way and she refused to disobey him. When she told her father this, he shouted, I would rather kill you than have a daughter who disobeys me. You are no longer my daughter. Okay, she said, if you won't let me be your daughter, then I will be the daughter of God. One Sabbath, Elena awoke and found everyone sleeping. She decided to go to church in spite of her father's threats to beat her. As she prepared to leave the house, he saw her. Where are you going? he asked. To the Adventist church, she answered. Okay, he said calmly, but don't stay long. Later, Alina's father saw her come home and asked, Who said you could go to church? You did, Alina said. When? he asked, confused. This morning. Don't you remember? The tension between Alina and her father made it difficult for her to remain in the home. But Alina had nowhere else to go. And this story will be continued next week. Actually, this Sabbath, the 22nd of October, uh, I expect to be worshipping in the Miami Temple Seventh-day Adventist Church in Miami in Florida. If you're a member there, I'd like to say hi when I'm there with my wife, Marion. Well, have a great Sabbath. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.